Good morning and hello again. Today, advisors advise, government decides. Tanish to Simon Coveney on the COVID road ahead. Coalition talks and his conversation yesterday with Michelle Barnier. Fianna Fáil councillor warns against the Greens and their window box politics. Cocooners break free. Brian O'Connell meets short walkers. The tourism outlook. We talk to three practitioners. Also, new Sunday independent editor Adam English on editing the paper from his kitchen. Brian Mooney on why the Leaving Cert should go ahead. Evelyn Cusack explains some of those weather terms we're all familiar with. Helping homeless people through COVID. Evelyn O'Rourke reports and lockdown anthem Colin Mokanyumara on his go-to theme. Email today sor at rte.ie. Text us on 51551. And you can also tweet at today sor. Simon Coveney, Tonishta and Minister for Foreign Affairs is with me in the studio. Good morning Tonishta. Thank you indeed for coming here today. Thanks, um, it's, nice to be here. it's reported uh, in the Independent this morning that the Cabinet overruled NFET, uh, their, their advice that over seven should continue to cocoon in their homes until August. Um, is that correct? That's not my recollection of it. I mean, what, what we had last week was we had uh, a detailed discussion between ministers and the, the CMO. Um, um, I shared that, actually, because the Taoiseach was, uh, was doing something else at the time. Uh, and then after that, we had a cabinet meeting to finalise decisions. But can I just reassure the public on this? The relationship between government uh, and the National Public Health uh, Emergency Team is is a fantastic one. There's complete trust in Tony Hul- uh, Hulhan and his team. Uh, but that doesn't mean that ministers uh, don't want to ask questions, understand the basis for the public health advice. Um, but um, I can assure you, despite what's been said uh, in media over the weekend, the relationship between NEFID and, okay, and the government uh, is, a, is a very close partnership. And, you know, we have made all of our decisions to date through this emergency on the basis of public health advice. And that has served this country very well. Tony Hulan has done a phenomenal job and has the absolute trust of everyone in Cabinet. Indeed. From my experience. So, I, was you know, quoting, I, think, I was quoting Margaret Thatcher, actually, or paraphrasing her, advisors advise, ministers decide. I mean, did NFED advise true. that cocooners should stay in until August? No, I mean, that, that, that wasn't the advice. There was, a, there was a conversation around how do we make sure that we take into account you know, the mental health and the stress that many people who have been effectively locked into their own homes uh, for weeks now, uh, how do we balance that with the obligation to try to keep them as safe as possible in the context of the spread of this virus? Uh, And what we came up with collectively was that we would allow limited uh, opportunity for exercise outside of the home uh, for for people over the age of 70, which has been announced today. Um, And, you know, that is... That's how government makes decisions. You know, we, we talk about these things. Uh, we raise the issues and the concerns that politicians are getting on the ground from people in terms of their anxiety and so on. We listen to the public health advice and the expertise, which so far, I think, has, uh, as I say, served us really well and has saved thousands and thousands of lives. Indeed. But you wonder uh, as well, where so does, like, no, com- but, where does no, common just, sense just, ent- enter just, into this? Just this sense of, you know, like reading it over the weekend, you know, I mean, Having been in the middle of it, you know, as you know, as a government minister, um, reading a story that suggested that there's this, um, you know, tension building between Nefed and the government. I mean, it's just not true. Okay, I'm, I'm but I mean, at the same and time, those those that, stories would have been informed mean, by briefings. By that doesn't mean that we don't debate the issues. Of course, of we course. do. Now, uh, I'm wondering, and, um, you know, cabinet ministers are doing their job in terms of raising concerns that they're getting uh, from the public, and Nefed are doing their job. Uh, in terms of giving us the best advice that we've acted on. 
And when, when the Taoiseach describes it as the, the document published on Friday evening as a living document, that implies, and perhaps very well should, that it is subject to adjustment, yeah. to change and so forth. For instance, um, when do you believe pubs will open again? Well, let me just address the first part of your comment first. So um, what we felt was important uh, was that we would give the public a sense of um, uh, of some certainty in terms of the approach that we were going to take to ease and unwind the restrictions that have, you know, really impacted ex- in an extraordinary way on people's lives. Um, I think people wanted that certainty. Uh, now we have a plan and a template, five stages, three weeks between each stage. Um, but of course we have said as well that that may need to change depending on how this virus behaves and it is unpredictable. We're still learning about it. Uh, uh, we have done because of the public's adherence to, uh, to the guidelines that have been outlined by NEFID and the government, we've done a remarkable job, I think, as a country in terms of flattening the curve, dampening the spread of this, uh, of this virus. Uh, we're seeing the numbers moving in the right direction despite all of the tragedy that many families are feeling. Um, and people want to understand now, how do we move from managing the heart of an emergency to actually gradually getting back to some kind of new normality. Uh, And I think that's what this plan does. But uh, we will have to obviously measure it as we go. So every three weeks and in between those decision points, uh, the government will debate the issues, take take the advice from NEFID uh, and make decisions either to stick with the plan or to amend it uh, to either fast forward restrictions or to delay restrictions. Uh, or reimpose restrictions if that's what's necessary to protect. So there public is health. the prospect that you would be open to persuasion, say by the vintners, that they can safely operate uh, sooner than the tenth of August if all the other things go keep going in the right direction by way of you know the, the cases, the outbreaks. Well, and what so we've forth. said is that we would we would engage with sectors um, as government, um, you know, hear what they have to say. A lot of sectors have put, been putting a huge amount of work into creating a new normal, if you like, uh, safely, uh, while COVID-19 is still a reality in Ireland. Um, Looking at how they can implement social distancing, uh, how they can change and adapt their businesses uh, to to recognise the the dangers of the spread of this virus. So we're going to interact with all sectors. That's been happening with the construction industry. Uh, I'm sure it's going to happen with the hospitality sector too. Uh, and uh, I know that um, that uh, the publicans have been putting a plan together in the hope that that may allow them to open pubs earlier. You know, uh, I have to say, I think there's a long way to go in that conversation uh, and I don't want to... Um, uh, to create expectations in this interview. Um, the government will well, make well, decisions. Well, Humphreys has done it already by suggesting that uh, they could open maybe six weeks earlier than the 10th of well, August. I mean, that's a possibility. But I think um, uh, the, the, the important thing here is that anything that's proposed to government uh, to change this plan needs to be you know, rigorously assessed uh, by NEFID and by the government uh, before we'd make a decision on it. Right. Like ultimately, you know, and I've said this over and over again, as have others, this is about saving lives in the middle of an emergency, protecting our parents, our grandparents, you know, people with weak immune systems, people recovering from cancer, people with a disability. You know, there are tens of thousands, there are hundreds of thousands, in fact, of people in Ireland who potentially 
could be fatally impacted by the spread of and this virus. And people have shown extraordinary Amazing. Uh, compl- levels yeah. of compliance and a sense of responsibility. I mean, after all, these were advisory um, th- th- these were advisory yeah. recommendations. It wasn't the law to stay inside, but people have uh, generally abided by that. But I'm wondering, might there be a bit more scope for common sense? I'm thinking particular, particularly, say, of, of somebody I know who has a um, an allotment. Now, there's a great big chain and a heavy lock around the gates of that. Now, if you can't have something sensible like you know uh, social distancing in, a, in an allotment where by definition people are several metres apart I mean what is the point of locking up allotments Sean you got to have rules and guidelines for the general good and okay? common sense as well there will be yes and common sense and I think people are behaving with common sense in the context of the guidelines um, and of course there are grey areas around the edges on some of those guidelines um, but by and large, I think the public have responded uh, really in a heroic way. Um, uh, you know, uh, from or why a, would you block off the car parking spaces at a beach that's you know a mile and a half long? Because um, uh, if you have evidence, and we have had evidence, that when the sun is shining and people have been cooped up uh, for weeks on end um, and they feel they can go to the beach, a lot of people do it at the same time. So it's not about one or two or a dozen cars. But if 150 cars come at the same time, people getting in and out of their cars, um, parking, going to the beach at the same time, uh, there are real public health concerns around that in terms of the spread of this disease. Uh, the same goes for shopping centres. Uh, uh, the same has gone for, for some playgrounds and so on, where uh, uh, the, the public health advice was very clear. If you've large numbers of people gathering, even if it's outside in close proximity, that is an increased risk in terms of spreading this disease. And so we are uh, insisting on a step-by-step, cautious approach towards easing these restrictions. And I think that's the right approach. And I think in time, it'll prove to be right. Yeah, but you see, we seem to be getting told every week or two weeks, oh, the next week or the next two weeks are absolutely vital, which of course they are. But it's almost as though, um, you know, no, people are being tantalised. Yeah. I think somebody wrote the weekend, the cars is being dragged along the ground no, 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 at the no. end of a stick. No, look, 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 and I can understand why, you know, the people who have to you know, follow this story day after day after day, um, of course are going to ask the hard questions and that's, that's, that's the way a democracy should work. But, you know, the, the level of transparency in terms of the numbers, the trends, where this is going, the tragedy, how we're managing it, has been extraordinary and not by politicians. I mean, every day, Tony Hoolan and his team uh, take questions from the media at length they outline where we are in terms of the number of people in hospital, the number of people in ICU, the number of fatalities we've had, uh, the number of new cases we've had, the number of people who've recovered and come out the other side. Um, Strangely, um, his briefing was cancelled last Friday and the Taoiseach did not take questions from the media uh, and, when he finished that and, address at 6.30. And Simon Harris had a briefing uh, shortly after that to be able to take all of the normal questions that would have been taken on that day. Um, so it was important after Cabinet that the Taoiseach outlined clearly what we're proposing in terms of easing restrictions, the, the staged basis for that and the, the thinking behind that. And we didn't want distractions from that announcement because it was an important announcement. 
Um, within an hour after that, we were back to answering the detailed questions uh, through the Department of Health. Yeah, but we've had uh, Dr. Gabriel Scali on the programme several times talking about the importance of, tr- of aiming for an all-island approach to dealing with this for yeah. obvious reasons. And yet it seems, sorry, it emerges that uh, you didn't inform uh, Arlene Foster or, or Michelle O'Neill uh, of the plan that was being uh, launched last Friday in this jurisdiction. Why not? I mean, surely if the, if the well, co- cooperation means anything, they should be told. Yes, um, and we have an enormous amount of north-south cooperation and conversation. In fact, every two weeks we have a video conference that lasts quite some time with the First Minister, the Deputy First Minister, the Health Minister, Robin Swan, uh, myself and Simon Harris. And you didn't tell uh, them any of this? No, let me, let me explain what happened. Uh, the night before this was announced, we made it very clear, uh, and, and of course the, uh, the Secretary of State is also on that call, we made it clear that the following day we would be approving a plan in Cabinet uh, around easing of restrictions over time. Uh, There was a clear understanding uh, of the timelines and the approach that was going to be taken. What wasn't shared uh, on that video conference was was all of the detail, because all of the detail wasn't there. It was only approved uh, the morning of the Cabinet meeting the following day, which took place at three o'clock. And I don't think anybody is suggesting that we should be sharing the detail of this plan before the Cabinet actually has a chance to approve it. So, you know, the heads up was given um, and we have had... They think they, I think well, they think look, that, I, mean, I think I we can safely say they expected, they expected a little more. I don't want to get into a back and forth on this, but can I just say the relationship between Robin Swan and Simon Harris is a close one. They speak regularly, as do the, the chief medical officers north and south. Uh, and the relationship that I have with the Secretary of State uh, and with the First and Deputy First Minister on, on COVID-19 uh, has been a very close one. That doesn't mean that the decisions are always easy, by the way, uh, because the, uh, the public health advice uh, given by the British government is sometimes different, uh, particularly around community testing and contact tracing and so on. And that has posed some difficulty. Uh, but we are working towards a, a much more... Um, Uh, uh, in-sync approach, if you like, north and south um, uh, to ensuring that as we move away from restriction uh, towards some kind of new normality, uh, that we manage that on the island of Ireland in the best way we can. Uh, You're in the thick as well uh, of attempting to form a new government with Fianna Fáil and now the Greens, the Taoiseach is going to meet with Michal Martin and Eamon Ryan this morning. But look, you you created something of a stir um, last Friday with the comments to the Irish Examiner and I want to just bring in a a reaction that we got from Catherine Martin on our own programme here on, well it was actually in Croke Park last Friday in our gathering, their Deputy Leader Catherine Martin speaking uh, in response to your comments to Danny McConnell in the Examiner that 7% emission reductions cannot be a target if it decimates rural Ireland and I'm not going to put farmers out of business. Here's what you had to say. It's quite shocking um, coming from, from the Thánaiste. This is not the Green Party's 7%. This target comes from an international agreement, a treaty, the Paris Agreement. It was Fine Gael who signed this document. It's, it's quite frankly disturbing. And why don't they know how to do this if they signed the agreement in 2015? Alarm bells are ringing. Well, you seem to have upset the apple tart, to borrow a phrase from that part of the world. Um, why were you so emphatic? And clearly... Um, well, that I, was, I was asked the question, uh, would I sign up to a programme for government if it decimates rural Ireland? And I said I wouldn't. Uh, and I stand over that. Um, would 7% what, what, decimate no, no, rural no, no, Ireland? No, let me address this because I think it's an important point. Um, I never uh, pointed a finger at the Green Party. 
uh, in relation to that. What I said, and I've, in fact, I think I was probably the first senior uh, Fine Gael politician to say um, that we certainly aren't saying no to an average uh, reduction of 7% per year. Um, but we want to really interrogate how we do that because we've got to bring people with us. You know, there are, there are many people whose businesses have been closed, whose, whose uh, livelihoods have been undermined, who are wondering how this country is going to get back on its feet again economically. And we need to reassure people that, that we can be really ambitious on climate action, and we need to be. Uh, and Eamon Ryan is right when he says that the next government uh, needs to see a fundamental and, if necessary, radical shift in this area uh, to, to meet our obligations internationally. But we have got to bring people with us, farmers, people living uh, in, in rural towns and villages, people living in, in cities and towns, uh, you know, on issues like um, increases in carbon taxation and so on. Uh, and so the challenge for us is, yes, to be ambitious on climate, but we know what happens politically uh, if you lose the public in an effort to try and do what's right. We saw that with um, President Macron in, in France, um, uh, which, uh, you know, when he was trying to deal with, with rioting on the streets, which originally started uh, because of, you know, attempts to increase carbon tax. We saw what happened in this country with water charges, uh, you know, which, which was the right thing to do from an environmental perspective, but, but a lot of people said no. So, so the challenge for us here is to work together in partnership with the Green Party and with Fianna Fáil and with others, if they want to be part of this, um, to, uh, to be ambitious. Um, I agree with the Taoiseach uh, when he said last Friday night that we want to commit to, to the 7% okay. figure. Okay, and, um, and do but, you accept but, that that's achievable? Uh, I think it is achievable. Um, um, but I think uh, what it, and by the way, we've already done some work on it in Fine Gael. Uh, in fact, quite a lot of work on it. Um, you know, Richard Bruton has, uh, in my view, put a very credible climate action plan in place, uh, which which breaks this challenge up sector okay, by sector just, we need to with a roadmap. Kind of just, and, and, and we need to now go well beyond that. Yeah, and does um, that include possibly reducing the size of the national herd or is that a no-go area? Uh, it will certainly involve change in agriculture, um, but I don't believe um, that we should be talking about uh, quick fix solutions like uh, culling uh, the national herd. That's not the approach. And by the way, that's not the approach that the Green Party are asking for either. So let's just be clear well, on that. Well, I think what they do are, have a policy. What, well, what we are saying, if you listen to Eamon Ryan on this, if you listen to Catherine Martin on this, we're not talking about culling the national herd. There may be some commentators out there who are, um, but uh, my understanding from conversations with the Green Party, and we did have a good day of, of discussion with them uh, a few weeks ago, uh, is that uh, they are determined to work with us, as we are with them and with Fianna Fáil, to find a way of bringing agriculture on this journey with us. Yeah, and, 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 and we've seen there today, Robert Watt, who is the Secretary-General of the Department of Finance uh, and Public Expenditure, is making the point that, you know, ignoring agriculture emissions um, was just, it rendered the government's plan not credible. Well, for a start, we're not ignoring um, emissions, even in well, the he specifically honed no, but, 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 in on, but sorry, on the herd. But sorry, even in the well, Robert Watt can say what he wants to say. But, Advisors advise, but, but the but but the government will make decisions. We have already committed to quite significant reductions in emissions. Chagask have put together a very credible plan to do that. Uh, farming organisations have bought into it. We now will need to go beyond that. 
Um, but we need to do it in a way that keeps farm families in business. And the truth is that the business, far, uh, the business model for many farm families in Ireland at the moment needs to change, particularly in beef. Um, uh, this is a sector that is not making money. Uh, many farm families are relying almost solely on their single farm income from, from EU payments. Uh, so we need to reshape agriculture in a way that ensures right. that it's profitable, keep fam keeps family farms intact, but also delivers more in terms of climate action. And I believe in partnership with the Green Party and Fianna Fáil, we can do that. Uh, but, but we've got to do it in a way that reassures people and brings them with us, uh, as opposed to dictates to people um, uh, how that can and will be done. And I think that's what the, the next few weeks is going to be about, working in partnership, not trying to... Like, this isn't okay. about Fianna, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil and, uh, and, uh, and the Green Party trying to outmanoeuvre each other right. in negotiations. Now, we're in partnership here and we're going to try and, and make it And there are work. subtleties in all of this. Uh, I have to tell you, there's been activity on the uh, Twitter machine, particularly from uh, uh, journalistic colleagues uh, in the Irish Independent. Um, among them, Hugh O'Connell, their, their political editor, our political correspondent, saying... Um, uh, Simon Coveney saying this story isn't it's just not true it's a shame because it very much is very disappointed to hear the tonish that talk this way about an important piece which contains a lot of detailed and information pulled together over the last couple of weeks this is your your rejection uh, that you overruled uh, Neffet again Philip Bryan saying the document is available uh, and what they actually said was that uh, and he quotes continue cocooning over 70s and extremely medically vulnerable until later phases due to higher risk that's Sorry, like them I can quoting. I can only go on what on the conversations that I've been involved in in cabinet. There were two important meetings last week. One was uh, when uh, Tony Hulan essentially briefed cabinet colleagues uh, on the approach of Neffet, and then the second was a cabinet meeting that actually made decisions. Um, cabinet uh, members raised concerns, as you would expect them to, in in terms of. Um, uh, uh, the impact of cocooning on over 70s. Uh, Neffet gave a very good uh, public health explanation as to why it was necessary. Uh, and the government came to a decision. That's how yes, it should but work. Later phases but the, would mean late July. But or the August. suggestion that there's tension building between the two, uh, I don't think that's. Um, it you know, could be a healthy tension. It could be creative tension. Nothing to nothing to worry about. Well, thanks very much, Sean. If that's your interpretation of it. But look, every every significant government decision uh, involves debate and discussion. That's how cabinet responsibility works. Uh, and we have taken decisions here on the basis of public health advice um, to protect people. Um, and yeah. of course, there are discussions around those decisions. Uh, but I think to uh, to suggest. That, uh, that there's significant tension between Nefford and the government just isn't... Is, OK, isn't now what about um, Simon Harris saying that, look, it, the outlook for travel for the rest of the year isn't predict is not looking good. Um, is that a view that you share? Well, we'll have to assess it as the From year goes the country, on. From the country, yeah. But at the moment, um, uh, the travel restrictions on people coming into Ireland uh, are, you know, have been tightened up somewhat. Um, you now have to fill out a very detailed form in terms of who you are, where you're coming from, where you're going to stay, uh, effectively how you're going to self-isolate for 14 days when you get here. Um, and essentially that is a signal to people that you shouldn't really be coming to Ireland unless you absolutely have to and unless you can self-isolate. Yeah, and what did you and think likewise, of those? And likewise, no, just to answer the question, uh, our advice for people is not to leave the island. Uh, uh, unless you absolutely need to. Um, so, you know, there are between three and 600 people coming into Ireland each day. The vast majority of them are Irish people coming home. 
Pictures of a crowded Aer Lingus flight from Belfast to London have been all over the news in recent days. No social distancing, people queuing to get on and off the plane as normal. Nearly 95% of the, fee- uh, the seats filled. What did you make of that? Well, look, Aer Lingus have, um, you know, have said that they want to investigate it, that they take uh, public health considerations very seriously. So let's wait and see what, what comes of that investigation. Now, I mentioned at the outset you had a conversation in the last 24 hours with Michel Barnier about the subject that was dominating uh, all our lives uh, day in, day yeah. out for three and a half years and suddenly got swept off the front pages and uh, the news agenda by um, COVID-19. So how are the Brexit preparations coming along? Well, I mean, this issue hasn't gone away, I'm afraid. Uh, it's, um, I remember during the general election saying that Brexit would dominate politics for, for the remainder of the year. Uh, nobody uh, could have predicted what would happen uh, in terms of COVID-19. But, um, but the, the difficulties and the challenges uh, of getting a trade deal in place, uh, getting arrangements in place to ensure that we have a level playing field in terms of trade between the EU and the UK, getting a deal on fisheries, getting a deal on on governance uh, in terms of ensuring that uh, whatever we agree uh, is enforced uh, in a way that, that the UK can live with and the EU can live with in the future, getting a deal that ensures um, that on the island of Ireland, uh, the all-island economy can continue to function while at the same time uh, the protocol on Northern Ireland uh, is fully implemented. I mean, these are complex issues. Um, How's progress? And, and it all needs to be done before the end of the year. In fact, it probably all needs to be done by the start of November, given the timeline around ratification and so on. And of course, there are crucial meetings and assessments happening in in mid-summer at the start of July in terms of progress. The truth is that progress has not been good. Um, There's been a a couple of rounds of negotiations so far. Um, The necessary progress really uh, isn't there. Uh, Of course, there are huge distractions for everybody in the context of of COVID-19. Um, but, um, you know, time is short and there's an awful lot to do. And um, uh, one of the things that was reinforced yesterday in the conversation that I had with, uh, with Michel Barnier is that, you know, the approach between the two negotiating teams is different. Uh, the UK seems to want to simply um, pick the areas where they want to deal early and solely focus on those. Uh, the EU has made it very clear that that is not an approach that they can work with uh, because a number of things need to be progressed in parallel. So there needs to be, in order to get a trade deal, we need to know that there's a level playing field in terms of trade, uh, ensuring uh, that businesses in Ireland, for example, aren't disadvantaged versus businesses in Northern Ireland and or in are the, the rest British of the UK. still holding to their um, position that there can be no extension of the transition period? Well, that is... That's the position, uh, uh, as outlined by David Frost, who's their lead negotiator, but also by, uh, by Michael Gove. Uh, and I suspect uh, that's coming directly from, from the Prime Minister. So that does put huge pressures on everybody. Um, and, um, you know, let's wait and see where this discussion goes in terms of potentially the need for more time. Um, uh, if, I mean, if we don't see significant progress, there are only, only two rounds left before the assessment in midsummer. One of those rounds is this week for negotiation, which is why I was speaking to Michel Barnier yesterday. But I mean, unless there is significant progress in those negotiating rounds, uh, then I, gotta think, I think we're going to reach yet another cr- crisis point uh, in the Brexit negotiations, which from an Irish point of view is very, very serious, particularly on the back of, of trying to rebuild an economy uh, in a post-COVID environment. That's all we need. Tanishtha, Simon Coveney, yeah. thank could, you so much indeed. Can I, just, for coming... 
Can I just say one other thing before I go? Uh, and that's just oh to wish God, you well. Oh, God, here we go. Um, I mightn't get a chance. Uh, I've been over 20 years in politics and you've been there, um, uh, given me a, a rightly a tough time at times. Uh, but I just want to wish you well. Okay, so thank you for that.